it's always worth it to listen to the feedback and have as much of a direct connection with your customers, with your fan base as possible because they won't lie to you. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. Today, I'm welcoming to the show a two-time founder, a freelance branding consultant, someone who specializes in developing unique and engaging brands in a typically oversaturated industry. Emily Delap, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Alrighty. So I've got a lot of things I just want to let the listeners know about. You've launched uh, two brands. So you launched Clean Beauty brand Concrete Minerals in 2009 with $100. And we're going to start there. We'll get into that in a second. But then you bootstrapped that thing into a multi-million dollar business over a decade. You sold the business. And then you wanted to do it again. You now are <laughs> in your second brand doing it with XO, uh, this time in the health and personal care space. I'm so excited to talk. Um, but I guess what'd you spend a hundred dollars on with concrete minerals? Let's just start there. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I spent it on the bare essentials. So primarily that was, uh, raw materials for creating the products since they were being produced in house. So that was the bulk of it. That along with, I think, getting us registered on, you know, Etsy or whatever we had originally launched on back in 2009. Okay. Okay. So, uh, obviously clean beauty brand. What were the products that what concrete minerals were selling? What was like your first, uh, uh, assortment that you were selling? The very first thing we ever launched was we produced a line of, I produced a line of uh, colored cosmetics. We were kind of doing um, eyeshadows. Eyeshadows were the big thing back then. These were loose mineral eyeshadows, hyperpigmented, excluded any sort of preservative or any sort of filler ingredients, anything like that. So that was it. I think originally when we launched, it was 13 eyeshadows back in the day, which is pretty wild. Where'd the idea to like start your own business come from? Oh, I, my entire family is pretty much made up of entrepreneurs at this point. My, my father's side, there's nine siblings. And out of them, I think there's six, six entrepreneurs from that side of the family. So I think I grew up with this innate understanding that you could absolutely build a business. You just have to be willing to uh, sweat and bleed and cry for it. <laughs> but I think I always had a lot of really great context, thanks to thanks to my dad, especially as I was growing up. I always saw that as a possibility. But seeing him and watching him build his own business, he's a general contractor based out in Southern California. And uh, you know, I saw his own struggles and saw that it was difficult to do it. But I think I always had it ingrained in me that it was something that you could do if you really wanted it. Absolutely. Can I push you again, though, to get a little more tactical? Like, was there a problem in your life? Did you not like the makeup that was out there? Like, what was what was the driving force between like, I'm going to figure out how to make makeup? I always joke that the reason I started my first company was just because I got pissed off enough to do it. <laughs> I just got mad enough and tired of suffering for other people's businesses and pouring my entire heart and soul into something that they loved and either not even necessarily not being compensated properly, but just reaching this point where I realized I was maxed out on where I was growing with these other businesses. But really what it was, was I had worked with a mineral cosmetics brand briefly, um, 
prior to this, and I'm sure we can get into this briefly as, as much as you want, but I came from the music industry. So I actually worked with heavy metal bands for years and years. But I ended up, I found myself at another mineral cosmetics brand back before mineral cosmetics existed, really back before it was anything. We never talked about clean beauty. It was always branded as green beauty back then. And it was just like Birkenstocks and wheatgrass and really unapproachable for a lot of people. (laughs) But I ended up, I found myself at this little business and that was where I kind of learned that it was possible to create clean beauty products that were in more exciting, fun colors. And I think I really understood the formulas from working with them so directly, but I kind of, after I ended up rebranding this company and helping them to get placed into Macy's and really expand into, you know, larger retail that, you know, I I realized that they were kind of missing out on this massive market. There were younger people that really wanted an Urban Decay or like a Mac that was clean and didn't have these junk ingredients in it. And prior to working with this business and kind of understanding intimately what the formulas were really comprised of, I was always very much under the impression that there was a reason that you couldn't produce like a bright blue eyeshadow or like something really fun. I was like, there's got to be a reason. It's all just beige and (laughs) these really kind of old school colors. And so I had taken that with me and, and that was something that I kind of kept in the back of my mind. I worked in music for several years after that doing various things. I managed a kid's summer rock band camp in San Francisco. I did so many random things. But eventually I found myself out of a job back. Uh, this was during the recession. I found myself out of a job. I had been laid off of another job and um, I was just exhausted. I thought I've got nothing left at this point. If I'm going to try, I might as well try now. If I'm going to suffer, I might as well suffer for myself. I might as well see what I can make out of this. So that's where getting pissed off enough really became the inspiration of developing my first company. (laughs) Awesome. So you had all of this experience working with a, a previous brand in the same industry. And you saw that, you know, I can do this myself. All my everyone in my family is doing it themselves in, in various different forms. Um, maybe that's the the music background in both of us. <laughs> you just gotta you just gotta do it. Uh, that's how I ended up here. But um, you and I can talk more about that offline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you're 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 getting launched. You're getting started. You you're going into the clean beauty, uh, mineral derived beauty products, right? You're launching this. You're starting. You started on Etsy. Is that what you said? Yeah, we actually launched back on uh, on Etsy. Like I said, this was back in 2009. Um, D2C wasn't really a thing. I mean, it was really only available to some of the bigger brands primarily. There were no indie brands that were really kind of launching their own websites because there was so much technicality behind it. I mean, it was still so difficult. We didn't have anywhere near the resources available that we do with things like Shopify and then all of the you know, nearly unlimited apps that we can install and they're just so user-friendly and all of that. So back in the day, it was, we were kind of relegated to what Sophia was doing, Sophia Amorosa, when she was building Nasty Gal. I joke that our our timelines are very, very parallel. It was right around the exact same time she was building Nasty Gal. That was up in uh, San Francisco. And I was building this one down in Southern California. She launched on eBay And I had decided to launch Concrete Minerals on Etsy. There was a built-in, there was already a built-in group of people that were looking for mineral cosmetics, indie cosmetics on there. 
And this was prior to the explosion of any cosmetics, which led to brands like Sugar Pill and the infamous Lime Crime for anyone who remembers that whole situation. <laughs> and but prior to any of us having our own websites, we really all thrived on sales channels like Etsy. And Etsy was where we developed our first fan base. I mean, you answered my next question before I could even ask it, but I'll see if you have anything else to uh, to expound upon. But basically, uh, I know our listeners always want to know, like, what was your go-to-market strategy? How did you find your first customers? And obviously, releasing the product into a marketplace with established customers is a fantastic way to to find out if people give a shit about what you're selling. Absolutely. Uh, was there anything else that you did? Um, I mean, this <laughs> the other big thing. We got very lucky. Uh, it was the wild west of social media. It was the wild west, man. I mean, everybody was on Facebook. Instagram was still in its infancy, you know, back in those days. And so we had so much direct access to people who were looking for the products. And that meant, you know, anytime we posted something to our 100, 200, 500 followers on Instagram, those were back in the days when they, you know, every single follower of ours still saw every single thing that we posted. Nothing was limited at that point. And so we had so much outreach and direct connection with the small fan base that we had built. And this was also prior to anything really being monetized as far as influencers were concerned. People were really excited to have direct contact with brands as, you know, they were with celebrities and these other things that kind of spawned out of, you know, influencers and social media. And because of that, we were able to really partner with a lot of brands in our infancy as we were kind of developing things with Concrete Minerals. We were able to reach out to other brands and partner with them, or we were able to reach out to, and these are things that are obviously, they're still available now. These things still exist. But for a very, very small brand that was being bootstrapped, we had a lot of direct access back then that has since been, obviously it's been throttled in some ways. And, you know, social media has figured out how to kind of monetize some of those those things in, in a way that's, um, I mean, I would absolutely argue is detrimental to smaller brands, that, especially that may be bootstrapping. But back then, man, it was the Wild West. <laughs> hey there, Merchant. Are you tired of trying to navigate the wild world of e-commerce on your own? Are you looking for a partner to help you achieve your goals? Look no further than the Shopify Plus agency, Electric Eye. Our team has a proven track record of helping our clients make millions with strategic design and development. Whether you're migrating from a legacy platform to Shopify, designing a new theme for your store, or just looking to optimize what you already have, Electric Eye is the perfect partner for you. Electric Eye are true Shopify experts. Not only is our Shopify knowledge unparalleled, but we have partnerships with all the best tech in the Shopify ecosystem. And don't worry, we're easy to get a hold of. Our clients rave about our fast communication. So here's the deal. If you're an e-commerce business doing over $1 million a year, you can receive a complimentary Shopify diagnostic from our team of experts. That's free, personalized strategic recommendations to improve your store and grow your business. To get started, head on over to electriceye.io slash connect to schedule an intro call with one of our experts. That's electriceye.io slash connect. Are you tired of your cash flow being tied up in inventory that takes ages to arrive from China? How many times have you missed out on potential sales during peak season due to inventory delays? Well, here's some news that might just change the game for you. Imagine increasing your lead time by 10x without ordering inventory in advance, reducing your inventory risk by over 66%, and enjoying three times better cash flow. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, with Portless, this dream can become a reality. 
In the unpredictable world of inventory projections and holiday rushes, Portless is your reliable partner. They ship your products directly from China to your customers, keeping you stocked without the burden of additional storage fees. Say goodbye to the hassle of ordering inventory in advance. With Portless, you have access to factory MOQs and can replenish fast-moving products in just three to five days. Capitalize on demand, eliminate wastage, and get your precious inventory ready for sale within two to four days of manufacturing. Manufacturing, no more waiting 45 to 60 days for cargo ship arrivals. Shipping to over 55 countries from their fulfillment center in China, Portless ensures your customers enjoy a seamless domestic experience with six day shipping and last mile tracking from trusted carriers like USPS, Royal Mail, and Canada Post. The best part? It's cost effective. Portless helps you improve your gross margins by up to 40% thanks to Section 321 eliminating fees and costs associated with traditional fulfillment options. Not only that, Portless ensures your products reach your customers on time while retaining the full domestic experience. Your customers can conveniently track their orders and you get to keep the custom packaging they love. Ready to revolutionize your inventory and fulfillment process? Visit portless.com today and let them help you with your inventory and fulfillment needs. You launch on Etsy and walk me through the next year or two. How does things, how does the momentum start? How do things start to scale? When does building your own website become something that needs to be done? That's a great question. It's because we were absolutely reaching that point. Something that was very interesting about launching on a platform like Etsy, and I think that this rings true today, but we had a there's a lot of there's a lot of home crafters which is absolutely what that platform specifically was designed for however i had always built this brand i had always built concrete minerals to be a business and to be something that was going to scale at some point and so some of the interactions would be a little interesting and a little different you'd get a lot of people trying to negotiate down prices and wild things like that and so eventually it we just reached this point where and i think back then i mean we'd still have to repost listings and things like you would do on eBay. And so as far as the back end was concerned of really trying to run the day-to-day and, and processing orders and things like that, it just reached a point where it was completely untenable. There wasn't much we could do to keep scaling. It was just taking so long to do the day-to-day stuff. And so we had this, this was prior our first brand was the, our first website was not launched on Shopify. I always forget that it was, on some sort of an open source platform just prior to Shopify. And my brother, who's an incredible developer, is amazing. And um, so I had worked with him. He helped us with a lot of the, the back end. But, you know, we had a theme that we plugged in, very similar to Shopify, things like that. And we were able to launch there, but we had collected such an amazing list, a very, very solid list of emails back then. That was a big thing. And we just started pushing email marketing and marketing through Instagram, primarily Instagram and Facebook. And that was it. And overnight, I mean, overnight, it was, I remember our first Black Friday. This was probably back in 2010, maybe 2011. But our first Black Friday was absolutely bonkers. I could have never expected anything like that. (laughs) And obviously, it was off to the races. Now let's fast let's fast forward. I already kind of told people what happened with that story. Uh, you took an exit in 2019, and now you're back, right? And we talked about starting Concrete Minerals in 2008 and 2009. Now in 2020, 21, 22, 23, what is different? Like you're doing it again. 
what what you know how do you approach doing it for as a founder a second time with how the technology has changed how the landscape has changed walk me through it what's like the first thing i love sharing this i love sharing how i came to exo and how this whole thing happened it was we had developed Concrete minerals then is something that I was incredibly proud of just to go back a little bit and just to kind of touch on the, the end of that and how everything wrapped up. We had scaled the brand as best as we could do, you know, with, I mean, I had a small team. Everything was going as well as it could. And then, uh, we brought on some business partners, a big digital marketing agency, and I fell in love with the guys. They were very much aligned with what we wanted to do. And so they decided to, uh, we still didn't have many resources as far as fundraising or anything like that was concerned back then, especially, I mean, talking about back in 2016, investors were not looking at consumer products. It was still incredibly rare. They were almost completely relegated to the tech industry and that was it. So we still didn't have a lot of capital to work with as far as scaling uh, ads, as far as scaling digital marketing or anything like that. And so our resources were pretty limited. So we took on these partners and uh, they backed our ad spend for 90 days and that was it. We just flipped the switch and overnight, I mean, we 10X'd our growth within two months. It was unreal. And so as a result of that, but there were so many things. There were so many things. From day one, we had produced our products in-house. We were not using a contract manufacturer, nothing like that. We produced in-house. When we had moved into our office space, I built out a fantastic lab lab in there where we had developed the products and and produced them. And we did all of our order fulfillment in-house. And so, I mean, we're talking to you, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in-house of of shipping. And that was shipping internationally. So we're still dealing with duties and customs and trying to develop, you know, all of these different resources. And so as we started to scale to these pretty significant, you know, milestones, at the same time, I was having to figure out, I realized that we were reaching our max capacity. There's only so much we could produce in-house realistically before we hit this wall. So, you know, I'm going out there and researching and Googling and chatting with other friends and founders. What labs should we work with? Where should we have our, our products produced? How do I make sure that they're getting produced in the same quality that we've always kind of, you know, prioritized? And we're working with a fantastic branding agency out in uh, Brooklyn. And I'm flying back and forth from California, trying to scale our packaging, trying to make sure that, you know, we're prepped for retail. Ulta is knocking down the door, wanting to stock the products. Incredibly, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly flattered, but also like, my God, how am I going to do this? And so ultimately our business partners who, again, I loved had wonderful intentions, but I think that our brand specifically, we took on a really unique partnership, sharing equity. And it's not like we were paying them a retainer. This was a project that we decided to work on together. We decided to try to build things as quickly as possible, try to build them as securely as possible. And our goal was to take an exit. I've been running the business for seven, eight years at this point, And I was just maxed out. I was maxed out on my mental capacity for how much I could deal with. And we built it up and things went really great for a while. And then we had some issues with things that they were supposed to take over and things that I was supposed to be managing. And I felt like I had a lot of things that were still left on my plate at the end of the day. And it just all started to roll backwards. And I always say the company was never built on a solid foundation. It was almost built as a test. And I always joke that your first business isn't supposed to succeed. I spent a year, I I finally scaled back absolutely everything that we had. And I knew that it was time to walk away from the brand and it was time to find it some new owners and, and to just 
wrap it up and come to a close. All I wanted in my life was a break and some time and some peace. And so I worked really hard and I found some lovely people to take over the brand and they really cared about it. They really liked, you know, what we were doing. It was a group of women. I was crazy about that. And took me a year, took me a year to take an exit. And I walked away. And that was in November of 2019. And I joked after that, that I would never in a million years consider building another brand, that there was no way. And I said, God, it's such shame. It's so awful. Knowing what I know, having the real world experience that I have, it feels like such a shame to not utilize any of that, but I couldn't fathom it. And then the pandemic happened and I was like retired for a year and I got to sleep and I got to do some real work on myself. I got to figure out who I was as an adult. I mean, I launched this company when I was 24 years old and I had no idea who I was without the title founder and CEO of Concrete Minerals. I didn't even know who I was. And then this crazy thing started to happen. And after about a year of soul searching and really feeling genuinely happy and just taking a real break. I started thinking about business ideas that I had always had in the back of my head. And I started to get kind of inspired by things again. And I started to think about this idea that we had kind of worked on here and there. We thought about expanding a different line with concrete minerals at one point that really more heavily focused on the idea of working in aromatherapy but with personal care products, but in a really, really lighthearted, stupid, fun, satirical way that was really approachable. And I started revisiting that and I started falling in love with that idea. And next thing I knew, I was working on business plans and I was working on all of the things, looking at these different resources that I now had available in front of me that I had never, that I would have killed to have had when I built my first brand and realizing, oh my God, there's so much more available and I know how to utilize these tools. I know how to do this. And I just started getting really excited about it. And so as of August of 2021, I filed my paperwork. The business was created. And that was when EXO finally first uh, took root. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, this time around, uh, obviously, technology has evolved quite a bit. Um, how did you approach a you know, launching the product as far as like what its home would be, uh, but B, like what is that go-to-market strategy? So that one, again, I mean, that was really something I feel incredibly lucky just kind of having the information that I have now. I have, I have seen brands over the years um, backed by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. I have seen tons of waste that has gone on. I have seen brands scale too quickly without building really solid fan bases and customer bases and really kind of understanding what's working, what's not. So something that was always a plan with XO from day one was to do production in-house, which sounds wild and sounds crazy having been in the position that we were before. But something that was really unique with this one was that while I was running Concrete Minerals, I had already sourced a contract manufacturer that I fell in love with that I knew from day one of developing XO was going to be the manufacturer that we would scale our products into. But the reason I always wanted to launch and do production in-house for at least the first six months to the first year was because it was a really easy way for us to just really test and figure out what people wanted, 
what they didn't, what was working, what wasn't before I was stuck with some massive MOQs from, you know, these, these manufacturers and with a bunch of stock that wasn't going to move. And so that was, that was definitely one of the big goals from day one was to kind of build in that way. And the other big one, we launched DTC in February of this year in 2023. And that meant we launched on Shopify. We launched our website. We also, you know, we've implemented all the kind of basic sales channels. So we've got, you know, Instagram on there. We are finally onboarded with TikTok. Shout out TikTok for finally rolling out US Shop, man. That took forever. But we went ahead and launched on there. We ran some uh, TikTok ads. We've been kind of testing ads since then. And really just looking at some numbers and getting our analytics and, and just kind of sorting through what's working, what's not. And then we launched on FAIR to move into some indie retail and to start moving into shops, boutiques, things like that with our products. I don't even think I've talked about what these products are. We, we launched with uh, flavored lip balms. <laughs> that sometimes helps. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have talked about that. We decided to launch with a line of flavored lip balms in... We did a lot of testing prior to that too. We did a lot of surveys prior to that, asking what flavors people would want to see. We wanted to come up with... A lot of things that were really unique, you know, so some unique flavors and things like that. But every every product, I mean, we launched with 14. We're getting ready to launch another eight. And we've gathered so much data, but it's been so much fun to hear the feedback and to be so involved with the small, the growing fan base that we have right now. And I feel like that was the thing that I appreciated the most about Concrete Minerals. And I've been really grateful to feel like we've been able to kind of maintain that I didn't want to scale something from zero to 60. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've been in a position where, you know, I saw what prioritizing every single dollar really did and how it benefited us. I also saw how it, it, the constraints that, that we had as a result, but especially at the beginning when we're really establishing things and trying to learn, I feel like that direct connection with our audience and moving a bit more slowly and moving very intentionally. That's been very important with this brand. Absolutely. Um, now, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think would resonate with our listeners? I mean, we could really go into the rabbit hole about everything that's been going on and how D2C is shifting, how the economy is shifting so much. And that is, I mean, talk about the Wild West. I mean, 2020, 2021, 2022 even. I mean, the growth that we saw with D2C, the explosion in just the development of new projects and and our products. And in addition to that, just seeing, you know, how wild it is to see these so many investors coming out of the woodwork. VC, I mean, VC just, you know, putting so much money into consumer products. It just, that in and of itself blew my mind when that really started taking hold. But I think ultimately... I think it's really worth it to put some real time into developing your brand. It's always worth it to listen to the feedback and have as much of a direct connection with your customers, with your fan base as possible, because they won't lie to you. They're not going to lie to you. And I think that there's no better way to do any of that than genuine authenticity. You can't fake authenticity. Right now, our entire Black Friday, you know, strategy that we're developing for marketing is, is based on, um, showing our customers hilarious examples of like emails that AI tried to write for us for the holidays and things like that. And really poking fun at the fact that, and I'm not saying that AI may not get there. I'm not wild about it, but I'm also not standing in the way of what's obviously going on. But right now, 
I think that there's still nothing better in the world than being able to have a direct, authentic connection with people. And especially the younger generations, there's nothing that they catch on to quicker than bullshit. There's no, there's nothing that they can, you know, sniff out faster. So I think it's really just worth it to, you know, to just dig in a little bit and try to have some authentic connections and hear what's working and what's not and develop with your customers as opposed to for your customers. Absolutely, Emily. Now, uh, for those listening that want to check out uh, the line that you have out and the new ones that you're going to release, where should they go? Our main website is xo.co and that is exoh.co. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Cool. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own businesses. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can subscribe to the newsletter at honestycommerce.co to get each episode delivered right into your inbox. If you're enjoying this content, consider leaving a review on iTunes that really helps us out. Lastly, if you're a store owner looking for an amazing partner to help you get your Shopify store to the next level, reach out to Electric Eye at electriceye.io. Until next time.